Hey, uh, you guys doing all right? Everybody doing okay? Good? Yeah? It's great to see you. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and I'm so glad you're here, and, and already I've met a few guests, uh, and we love all of our faithful attenders who are here every week, and those who are here once a month, we love you too, uh, and appreciate you guys as well. Hey, we are starting a brand new series today. We're going to be in this series through the month of September called Unshaken, and uh, the question that I want to ask you this morning is, have you ever experienced your world being shaken? Anybody? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you haven't, just put on your seatbelt because it comes for all of us, doesn't it? Eventually, your world will be shaken until Jesus comes back. You know, I've never met a 200-year-old individual. Have you? Anybody in this room ever met? I mean, that mortality rate still hovers right around 100%. And uh, we will experience, in this world, we will experience a shaking And what I love about the Bible, what I love about the Word of God is that the Word of God wasn't written to a bunch of people sitting in a monastery, eating cupcakes, listening to soothing music with no care in the world. The Bible was written to real people who actually experienced, if you can believe it, even more shaking than most of us experienced in our lives because of living in the ancient world and because of, for many of them, the persecution that they actually actively endured And so over the course of this next month, we're going to be looking at just a a couple paragraphs from a letter in 1 Thessalonians. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. Uh, We'll primarily be in 1 Thessalonians chapters 3 and 4, really throughout the whole month of September. So we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 3. If you're not used to finding things in your Bible, that's cool. Uh, There's a Bible app. And did you know that in the Bible app, you can actually, when you go into your Bible, you can actually put it alphabetically so that you can find things easier that way as far as the books of the Bible. There's an option at the top there. You can do that. If you're in a paper Bible, you're trying to find it, it's near the end of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. And it's part of the section of the T's. The T's are all in alphabetical order. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. I love that the people, when they're putting the Bible together, did that for us to help us find things. So we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I want to give you plenty of time to find this. So while you're looking this up, I want to kind of give you an idea of what is this all about. Sometimes you're, you're reading through the Bible, and you're like, I don't, 1 Thessalonians, what, what is that even all about? Like, so, so first of all, this was a letter written around 51 AD. So to give you context, that would be about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, this letter is being penned, and it's being written by a guy named, we call him affectionately the Apostle Paul, or maybe you come from a tradition that you call him Saint Paul, that's all right, Saint Paul, Apostle Paul, you can just call him Paul even, that that, that works, it's all right. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing to a group of Jesus followers who are in a city named Thessalonica. Now, if you have a lisp like me, uh, you kind of cringe saying that in public, but it's because it's a hard one. But Thessalonica, and, and what, Thessalonica, like where in the world is that? Like what's going on there? Well, Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman region called Macedonia. And this isn't just like a little village. This isn't like Gibsonburg, y'all, okay? This is, this is <laughs> all my Gibsonburg people are like, what? Okay, so we love you. I love Gibsonburg. It's a great place. But, but it's a little bigger than Gibsonburg. Uh, Historians, archaeologists tell us that Thessalonica was a city of about 200,000 people. So this isn't a little burg. It's even bigger than Fremont, y'all. 
200,000 people. And Acts chapter 17, you don't need to turn there. You can write that down and, and go to Acts chapter 17 later on. Acts chapter 17 actually gives us the history of the relationship that Paul had with the church in Thessalonica. Remember, a church back then for the first 200 or so years, the church, there was no such thing as a church building. Church is the people. Right? You do, hopefully you understand that. If you don't understand that, now you know. And so, so he, in Acts chapter 17, we have the history of how this church even got started. So Paul was an apostle. And he wasn't an apostle like all the other apostles because he had spent three years hanging out with Jesus. Paul was an apostle because Jesus, like, hand-selected him. Even when he was going his own way, doing his own thing, persecuting the church, Jesus said, no, Paul, I'm going to set you apart for my purposes. And Paul had a, a, an anointing upon him to plant churches. And he would, I mean, this guy, it was nuts so how this would go. He would go into a place where, where nobody was followers of Jesus, and he would walk into that town not knowing a soul not having, you know, friends on Instagram or anything like that. He would just come into the city, and he would find the Jewish gathering, which was called a synagogue, and he would go there on Shabbat. At first, he would just kind of, hey, I'm just here visiting. And usually people would find out that he was a Pharisee, that he had been trained by Galagiel, or however you say his, his name, and, and that he was really smart. And they would say, hey, why don't you teach us? And Paul would say, oh, man, I'm be glad to do that. And so he does this in Thessalonica. He comes in. He starts hanging out in the synagogue. He's, he gets an opportunity to teach. So he takes them back to the Hebrew prophets. And he starts, I mean, he would just quote these prophecies. And he would say, you know who this prophet was talking about, right? And they would all look and they'd go, no. We don't have a clue of who this prophet is talking about. And he said, oh, you need to know who this prophet is talking about. He's talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. And did you know the anointed one has come? The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And Jesus came and he taught and he performed miracles and he healed. But the greatest thing Messiah did is the Messiah not because it was forced upon him, but of his own will and his own volition because it was a plan of God from the beginning of time. The Messiah allowed himself to be brutally tortured and horrifically executed on a cross. And on that cross, the Messiah took all of our sins and all of the curse of sin and the punishment of sin that the Messiah became our substitutionary atonement. And he took all of that upon him and he died on the cross taking all of our sin and all of our punishment and all of our curse. And he was put into a tomb and they'd be like, well, that's horrible. That's horrible. You know, all these other religious leaders, they're all dead too. And he, there was a twinkle in Paul's eye and he said, but on the third day, he rose from the grave. He busted through the wall of death. He proved that he has authority and power above any other religious leader that has ever walked this earth. And, and he has the power to forgive you of your sins and to be the master and leader of your life. And we read from Acts chapter 17 that Paul goes into Thessalonica and he just begins preaching this message, the gospel. And Jews are persuaded and they start following him and God-fearing Greeks who were pagans and, and, and didn't know, but they knew there was something above all the other idols that were worshipped. They knew there was a one God out there, and they just didn't know who he was. And they became convinced, and they started following Jesus. And a church was planted in Thessalonica. Isn't that awesome? That's so cool, right? Until, it's cool, I mean, it's definitely cool, 
But Acts chapter 17 tells us that the Jewish religious leaders, literally, you, the, the, Acts 17 gives us the word, they became jealous. Because they saw their influence waning. And so they become jealous, and so they go to hunt down Paul. Well, Paul gets word of this, and Paul skips town. But they come to the house where these Jesus followers have been meeting, the house of a guy named Jason. Anybody in the room named Jason? You didn't know you had a biblical name, did you? Yeah. Your name's not Jason. <laughs> it's like, whatever. I know your name. And so, so they, they grab Jason. Jason's, remember, it's his house where these followers of Jesus have been gathering. And they grab Jason, and they take him out, and they beat him mercilessly, and they throw him in prison. Now, fortunately, he wasn't executed. They actually set him free. But Paul was only with the, the church in Thessalonica. We believe, we only... Specifically, Acts 17 says that he preached three times in the synagogue. We believe he was only there for weeks, maybe for months, but for a very short time. And in that time, he planted a church. Well, now he's on the run, and Paul does what he does when he's on the run. He goes to another city, and he does the same exact thing, and he plants another church. But all the while, Paul's thinking about the church in Thessalonica. He's thinking about these brand new brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. And remember back then, they didn't have the Bible like we have the Bible. And they couldn't go into Amazon and order Christian books. And there were no Christian radio stations. And they couldn't go onto Spotify and find a Christian worship list. Like all they had was a few scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament. That's, that's all they had. And so Paul would be in these other cities, and on his mind, he was thinking about these believers in Thessalonica, and he was just going, oh man, I hope, I hope the tree hasn't died. I hope that it stayed rooted. I hope, I hope that it's still growing. I hope somehow God is growing his church. I hope somehow that it's really God's church and not my church, and that the gates of hell really can't prevail against it. He's praying and he's interceding and he's thinking about them all the time. And finally, when he can't stand it any longer, he sends a young uh, protege, a guy that he had been just, just um, uh, uh, educating and, and just putting his anointing upon, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy's just a rookie. And he sends Timothy to Thessalonica and he goes, you've got to find out, is, is, is the tree still standing is it still there? Is it, I, I just need to know that they still believe. I just need to know that they're still following Jesus. And so he sends Timothy, and, and Timothy comes back after months, and he says, Paul, not only is a tree still standing, it's producing fruit. And so Paul sits down, and he pens this letter and this is a letter of joy, this is a let, but it's also a letter recognizing that they're suffering. That they've been persecuted. That it's growing, but it's been resisted. And so he's writing this letter, and hopefully that helps you to better understand what we're about to read. And we're not going to be able to read the whole thing, so I, I want to encourage you in your own time. It takes literally, for most people, 15 to 20 minutes. You can read through this entire letter. And then if you're curious, you can even read the second letter, which they're so good at naming letters back then. They just called Second Thessalonians. And there you go. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 3. And what I wanted to talk about this morning as we read through this, he's talking to a people who have been shaken. He's talking to a people who, I mean, they're trying to follow Jesus and yet everything around them. Culture is opposed. The religious systems are opposed. The politics are opposed. The economics are opposed. And they're trying to follow Jesus, but they've been shaken. 
And the question is, what do you need when your world is being shaken? Some of you in this room right now, you're going through something that's so unsettling. What do you need when your world's being shaken? Some of you, everything's cupcakes and unicorns right now. But around the corner, you're going to experience some shaking. What do you need when your world is shaken? First point, what you need is you need partnerships. I need partnerships. You say, Ken, we haven't even read yet from this letter, so let's get into it. First Thessalonians, again, a guy with a lisp, it's hard to even say that. First Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and I just love the passion from Paul as he's writing. He says, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He, Timothy, is our beloved brother and co-worker with God in preaching the gospel, and we knew that he, Timothy, would strengthen your faith and encourage your hearts. Here's here's the point, I need partnerships, you need partnerships. We all need a Timothy in our lives. We all need a godly, spiritual, mature individual in our lives, in flesh and blood, someone in our lives who can do exactly what Timothy did. He said he strengthened your faith and he encouraged your hearts. And my question this morning is, who is your Timothy? Who's a Timothy in your life? Been reading a little bit about apple trees this week and, and knowing, you know, this idea that we're, we're, we're using the analogy of, of Paul planting a tree. And this right here is an apple tree. And what I found is that it is not wise to plant a single apple tree all by itself. You're not going to get much fruit that way. Apple trees are not designed to self-pollinate. Now I know you can go now and you can find these genetically modified trees that are able to self, you know, do all that kind of self-pollinate. But, but in it, the way that God originally designed these, apple trees in particular, and most fruit trees, are not designed to be planted by themselves. They need to be planted in close proximity with other apple trees. And in fact, it's interesting with apple trees, the best thing is to plant them in close proximity with other apple trees so they are of the same but of a diverse kind. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting? Like, I need to be planted next to other apple trees, next to other followers of Jesus, not just religious people, not just people who are spiritual. I need to be planted next to other apple trees, but it's good to have some diversity, I don't need to just be with other people who are all just like me, the same age, I'm following Jesus the same amount of time, same skin color, same, you know, just perspective in life, same educational level. Man, it is good to be planted next to apple trees that are diverse. In fact, I learned this week that in most orchards, they will take a younger tree and plant it next to an older tree because a stressed tree, which is what a younger tree is, it's stressed, it's de-stressed can actually take nourishment from the older tree. Isn't that interesting? What, we all go through times in our lives where we are shaken, where our trust and our confidence in God needs to be encouraged by another human being. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. Too many people, this is my experience as a pastor now for over 20 years, too many followers of Jesus wait until they are in the middle of their world being shaken to seek out godly relationships. And the reason why I know this so well is because usually it's my phone that's ringing. And listen, I'm your pastor and I, and I love being able to be there for you, but I'm like a Lego. There's only so many connections that I can make with people. 
I love you, I want to be there for you, but you know what's even better than having a pastor? What's better is having a close, godly friend that you've built a relationship with, and you can't do it in the moment when your world is shaken. you got to do the work before your world is shaken. When everything's going well, that's the time to prioritize godly relationships in your life. So here's the question, who are your Christian friends that you know that you could go to for prayer and counsel if your world was suddenly shaken? Who are the Christian, godly, mature individuals that you could call at three in the morning and they will actually answer the phone and not with a, <laughs> an expletive, but with a, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Who are the people that you can text with just one word, pray, and you know that they're going to pray. They're not going to gossip. They're not going to do all this stuff. They're going to, no, I know. Who are, who are those people? Do you have people like that in your corner? Notice how Paul describes Timothy in verse 2. He says, first of all, our brother. Our brother. This speaks to relationship. Timothy was not above them or beneath them. He was on the same level. Do, do you have a Christian friend like that? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? Notice also that he describes him as our co-worker. And when you look at the Greek word for co-worker, it basically means Timothy was not afraid to get his hands dirty. He was a servant. He had a strong work ethic and a sense of team. Do you have a Christian friend like that that you can count on? Who's willing to get dirty with you? Do you have someone praying for you? A little later in this passage, Paul gives these words. He says in, in, in verse 10, night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. Who in your life is praying for you? Who is seeking God for you? Who is interceding for you? Listen, our worlds are going to be shaken. There's no doubt about that. We're going to go through some stuff. And one of the things that you and I need more than anything else is we need godly partnerships. We need a, you need a Timothy in your life, you need a Paul in your life, you need people who are in your corner, who are fighting for you in prayer and intercession, but who will also show up and just be present. They'll just be, when the world falls apart, they are there, and they're not lecturing you, they're just there listening to you, sitting by your side, giving you the ministry of presence. Like if I could wave a magic wand as your pastor and, and have a wish for each and every one of you beyond you understanding the gospel and receiving the grace of God and receiving his forgiveness, I mean, let's just say that that's what I want for everybody, but the next thing I would ask for is that you would each have godly relationships because I know how important they are. I can't, I can't, I can't provide that. I can't be like the matchmaker for everybody, you know, well, Rick, here's David, you guys are now going to be close bosom friends. I mean, we go to church with each other, but we don't, I mean, we love one another, but we don't, don't always like one another, right? Like, some people you just connect with better, right? And so, so here, here's what we do at Journey. We do have something we call life groups. And life groups are just the context. It's the place where you can go. And you may not become, like, best friends with everybody in your life group. But you'll probably get to know people better than you would sitting in rows of chairs listening to a guy spit for an hour. All right? Like because you're, you're sitting in a circle, you're praying one for another, you're asking questions, you're discussing scripture. Like there's, there's an opportunity to get to know one another better. Like I would encourage you. I know life is busy. I know there's a thousand things going on. 
There's so many things competing for your attention. And oh, by the way, there's the evil one who wants to do everything he can to keep you from godly community because he knows how important it is. I would encourage you, I would challenge you, prioritize making godly relationships. Here's a hint, and it doesn't really work this morning because we have a combined service, but often when you come on Sunday mornings, often, did you know that most people sit in the same places every Sunday morning? It's just, some of you are outliers, and I love that. You got that rebellious spirit, and you're like, come on. No, I mean, not a good rebellious spirit, not a, okay, just erase that. We'll edit that out because that doesn't even work. Some of you, you know, you're not a rule follower. You're going you're gonna to sit wherever you want to sit, and we, we encourage that. But, you know, if you're one of those people who sits in the same section, get to know the people in your section. Invite them out afterward. Hey, you want to go to get a bite of eat? You know, first service, maybe it's going for brunch. Second service, maybe it's going for lunch. Like, like get, get to know each other. Hospitality is an important part of the body of Christ from Scripture, right? Okay, some of you are like, okay, can we get on to the next point? Yeah. So, so if we're in this world that's being shaken, what do we need? First of all, I need, what was it? Partnerships. I need partnerships. Secondly, I need perspective. I need perspective. You know, it would be great if, if we could take apple trees and we could just plant them in greenhouses. But if you notice, you won't find an apple orchard in a greenhouse. They don't do it. And you want to know why they don't do it? Because people have tried doing it, I found out. You want to know why they don't do it? Because an apple tree actually needs adversity. Do you know that? In order to produce fruit, it actually needs to go through some winds and some storms and some tribulation. It needs to go through some hard things or it doesn't produce fruit. Isn't that crazy? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, uh, this is the end of verse 2, we sent Timothy to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. Like, these are a couple of verses that we don't put on mugs. I haven't, I haven't seen someone wearing this Christian t-shirt. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are destined for trouble. And yet it's still scripture. And I think, that, I think what Paul is saying is saying, listen, you need, when your world is being shaken, church, you got to understand, this is part of the deal. I don't like it. I wish, I wouldn't wish it upon you, but it's part of the deal. And I think when we don't have that perspective, man, it makes things so much worse, doesn't it? So many of you, and it's not because a pastor has necessarily preached it, maybe they, I mean, maybe, I don't know what you, what TV preachers you watch or whatever, but some of us really do believe, we would never express this out loud, but we really do believe, do believe that if I do and we give a whole list of things. If I go to church every Sunday, if I give the Lord's tithes and my offerings, if I serve in the nursery, I mean, surely serving in the nursery has got to give you extra bonus points, right? If I, if I open the doors for people when they're coming in, if I, on a rainy day, hold umbrellas for people as they come in, if I, if I actually take, you know, serve hospitality to my neighbors, if I, if I do all these things, then I will be exempt from trouble. And so when trouble comes... We kind of look at God like, how could you? 
right? I mean, again, we might not express this out loud, but isn't that the attitude? God, I did X, Y, Z. How, how could you do this? How could you allow this person that I love to die? How could you allow me to be diagnosed with this or my loved one to be diagnosed with this? Like, God, how could you? I just want you to know that we're not exempt from trouble. And we need to know that. We need to understand that. Because otherwise, and I've seen, I've seen so many people who are, they were following Jesus and trouble comes and they collapse because they don't have the right theology. And so many are not following Jesus today. And you probably know examples of that as well. Jesus actually said these words in John 16, 33. And, and you, you've heard this before, but I think it's so important for us to have perspective. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I just want to pause. So many times we read this and we don't look at what he told them. He says, I've told you these things because I want you to have peace. Well, what, what had he just told them? In verse 32, he had told them, literally, this is a quote, you will be scattered and all alone. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you right now are saying, it's Labor Day weekend. I could be at home. It's raining. I could be sleeping right now, and this is the sermon? <laughs> Jesus says, I've told you these things. I've told you you're going to be scattered. You're going to be all alone. I've told you that. Why? So that in me, circle those two words, so that in me you may have peace. Jesus, I want you to know these things are going to happen. And in fact, as you follow Jesus, they're going to happen even more. Because you've got a target on your back. And the enemy isn't happy that you're following him. So he says, listen, you're going to be, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be alone. You're going to be scattered. But I want you to know, in me, this is Jesus speaking. This isn't me speaking. In me, Jesus says, you will have what? Isn't that what we all want? That when your world is shaken, you will have peace. But the caveat, the, that's the promise. The premise is that I'm in Christ. I'm holding on to him. I'm not distancing myself from him. I'm drawing near to him. I'm saying, Jesus, I need you right now. Jesus, I'm holding on. In me, you will have peace. He goes on. He says, in this world, you what? In this world, what? Oh, goodness, I don't like that. Jesus, stop making negative confessions. Right? Your words matter, Jesus. We don't need to hear this. And Jesus says, no, 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 I need you to have perspective here. You're not in heaven yet. In this world, you will have trouble. You will be scattered. You will be alone. But that doesn't mean that you are without peace because I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He says this. He says these words, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That men, when my world is shaken and I don't understand it, that I look to Jesus and I can tell him, Jesus, I don't understand what's going on, but I am going to cling to you. I'm going to stay close to you. I believe that you have overcome the world. And it doesn't look like you've overcome the world right now, but I'm going to hold on to you. Because you have overcome the world. You are overcoming the world. You will overcome the world. And I don't know what you're going through right now. Somebody in this room, you're going through something really difficult. I want you to know, 
all will be made right. All will be made right. Yeah, the first 90 years are the hardest. But seriously, we say that and we laugh, but in light of eternity, I mean, it's a blip. It's just, it's just a blip in light of eternity. In this world, you will have trouble, but you can take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. I want you to know this because so many times we don't have the right perspective. You can't put an apple tree in a greenhouse. Some of our greatest fruit is produced when we walk through adversity. The world isn't looking for perfect. The world is looking for people who have gone through some stuff who will say, I've gone through some stuff. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And yet I'm staying strong. I'm staying close to Christ. I need partnerships. I need perspective. Here's the third thing we learned. I need protection. I need protection. Do you know apple trees have so many stinking predators? When they're a young sapling, you know, way smaller than this, deer love apple trees. It's like a great afternoon snack. They have, they have big predators like deer, but you know they have little small predators as well, aphids and caterpillars. And, they, and in fact, people will spray them just to keep those aphids and caterpillars away. But you know they have even smaller predators than caterpillars and aphids? There's something called, uh, oh goodness, where am I at in my notes? Um, apple scab. Apple scab is horrible. It's like a mildew. You don't see it until it's covering your tree. One day you wake up and you go, holy crud, what just happened to my tree? Right? It's invisible. You don't even see it until it's manifested, right? Listen, you and I go through, we have an enemy, and sometimes it's visible and we understand what's going on. And sometimes it's just like, what is going on? I don't even know why I'm feeling this way. I don't even know why I'm having this anxiety. I don't even know why this fear is here. It's because you have an enemy. And Jesus said he's come to steal and kill and destroy. Here's, here's what Paul said. He said in uh, verse 5, we're still in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. He says, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. And listen to this. This is the line. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. I was afraid that the tempter, who in the world is a tempter? Satan, the devil, the evil one. Well, I don't, this is 2022. I don't believe in that stuff, right? Listen, the devil is real. And he's not this guy dressed in a lycra red suit holding a pitchfork with horns. He will disguise himself and he will disguise his lies. He will distort the word of God. He will use the words of other people. And the primary way that he opposes us is through lying. He will lie. He will deceive. He will distort. He will twist. And when you're going through a storm, when your world is being shaken, what you need is protection. That's why when you get an apple tree, and I know some people don't like sprays and stuff, but you, you better spray it with something. You better spray it with something because otherwise it will, it, the caterpillars will come for it, the mildew will come for it. Listen, follower of Jesus, we have the full armor of God. 
You, you, you better not be fighting naked. You better be fully clothed. What are the lies? We've talked about this before at Journey, but I, I just I keep wanting to repeat it to you because this is how the enemy comes at us. He lies to us about God. So when our world is shaken, that's why immediately our thoughts go, God, how could you? Because the enemy is sowing those thoughts. Why didn't God stop this? He doesn't love me. He doesn't listen to my prayers, right? I mean, these are just the lies that just instantaneously come at us, attacking the heart of God, attacking the love of God. He lies to us about others. Well, you know, people can't be trusted. She just doesn't understand what I'm going through. He would never love me if he knew fill in the blank. They'll always be disappointed. I can't trust any of them, right? These are the lies, right? When my world is being shaken, why does he lie to me that way? Because he wants to isolate me. Just like a, a lion going after a flock of gazelle. Like, I mean, he wants the gazelle who is all by himself. He lies to us about ourselves. I'll never get through this. I'll always be this way. I'm unlovable. He distorts the truth and tempts us to pursue a counterfeit way of relief when we're troubled. Instead of going to God when my world is being shaken, I go to something else. Because that's what he does. He's a tempter. You know, in AA, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about that you're really prone to, to issues when you are, and they use an acronym of HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And man, when you're, going through, when you're going through a season where you're hungry, maybe it's physical hunger, it's a hunger, whatever kind of hunger that you have, emotional or intimacy or whatever, when you, when you find yourself emotionally or physically hungry, be on guard. When you're angry, have you ever, I, I've been through seasons where I'm just angry about everything. Have you ever found yourself that way? It's like, man, just don't get in his way. He will chew you out, right? I know I'm not the only one, right? Sometimes we just feel lonely. We may be in a crowd of people. We may have a loving family around. We just feel lonely. And sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes it's because, you know, I'm going to say something and you're going to want to quote me later on, okay? One of the most godly things that you can do is to take a nap. Go ahead. Pastor said, pastor said, (laughs) One of the most spiritual things that you can do, because listen, when you are tired, the enemy knows it. He smells it. And that's why some of you, you're, you're constantly tempted. And as I'm talking about this, you're like, well, I'm always hungry. And I'm always angry. I'm always lonely. I'm always tired. Well, yeah, you've got a bullseye on you. You need to pay attention to those things. Paul says, I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. We need discernment. Church, we need discernment. You need to stay in the word of God. You need to stay in prayer. You need to put on every morning you wake up and just, God, today I put on the helmet of salvation. God, I thank you that you have saved me and rescued me. And so, God, would you guard my thinking and my thoughts today? God, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard my heart, oh God. You have made me right through the blood of Jesus. And so guard my heart. God, I put on the belt of truth. God, keep me from lies. 
Help me not to believe lies about you, about others, about myself. Help me not to speak lies. God, help me to have integrity in everything I do. God, I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. God, I pray today that I would have opportunities to share your word and that I would be a peacemaker, that I would work for peace in my relationships. God, today I hold up the shield of faith. I trust you. I trust your word. I trust what you've said. Guard me, protect me. And God, I hold up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I hold up the Word of God. How do I do that? I memorize God's Word. Guys, I'm your pastor. I'm constantly, Friday, I spent probably half an hour just memorizing God's Word. Why? Because I want it in me. When the enemy comes against me, I don't have anything else but the Word of God. And I don't want to have to be looking through and, oh, I know it's in here somewhere. I know I read it a couple weeks ago. Oh, crud, where is it? No, if, it, if, if I'm reading and something stands out to me, I need to memorize that. So what's the result? Look at verse 6. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. Can you imagine Paul in that moment? The tree is still standing and it's producing fruit. He, he reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Look, look at verse 7. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and our suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives, I love this verse, it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Listen, when I respond to the shaking that's going on around me and I respond to it well and I can stand firm in the midst of adversity and still bear fruit in the midst of adversity, it is an encouragement to everyone around me. Paul, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was encouraged because of the report that the tree is still standing. And you never know what you're going through. I can't imagine what some of you guys are going through in this room and how your world is being shaken. But can I just challenge you? Don't distance yourself from God. Draw near to God. Rely upon the partnerships that God has put in your life. Have a right perspective. Put on the protection of God because your response to what you're going through could result in scores of people coming to faith in Christ. You could get to the end and go, I would never want to go through it again, but it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Most people that we work with, that we go to school with, that we live with, that we're neighbors with, are going through some hard stuff. In fact, everybody's going through something, right? And when others see that we are standing firm in the Lord, even in the midst of shaking, that we stand firm, that we are unshaken when everything around us is shaken, it gives God glory. It gives God glory. And isn't that what our world needs right now? What our world needs right now is not the church to be chicken little. What the world needs now is a church that understands the power of partnerships. What the church needs right now is a church that has the right perspective. A church that's walking in the protection of the word of God and prayer. That we can be difference makers in the midst of everyone else being shaken. That we can be unshaken. 
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. I understand that as I'm talking about being shaken, some of you hardly heard anything that I was saying because you're going through some stuff right now. And I was praying about how we close our service today. I just felt like it, some of you just, you just need an opportunity for others to say, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. I'm praying for you in this moment, and I'm going to keep on praying for you. So I know this is going to take a ton of guts. But if you're here this morning, you say, my world's being shaken. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And listen, you can't do it on your own. God didn't create you to do it on your own. We need the encouragement of others, the prayers of others. Listen, I've been through whole seasons. As the pastor of your church, I've been through seasons where I desperately needed the prayers of other people. And so I'd reach out, pray for me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I stood in the pulpit preaching from the word of God just going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And you're the same way. We need each other. So if you're here and your world's being shaken and everything in you is going to resist this, well, my thing isn't as bad as probably somebody else's in this room, so I'm just going to stay here. Listen, there's not going to be a brownout in heaven because too many people are asking at the same time. God isn't up there going, oh, man, there's too many. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's an attack of the enemy against you to keep you from receiving a miracle. So your world's being shaken. I'm going to invite you just to come forward and just come all the way to the front because we don't have as much room as we normally have in the front. We just go ahead and we may even have to push some chairs back and uh, if some of our people who are good at that kind of stuff can do that in a moment, just be in the, hey, come on, who else? Your world's being shaken right now and you just say, my world's being shaken. I need the encouragement. I need the strength. I need, maybe some of you, you need a miracle and God's going to do that. Maybe in your physical body, things are being shaken and you need healing. You need provision. You need breakthrough. You need freedom. Your world's being shaken? Come on, there's others. Just go ahead and come right up to the front. Come right up to the front. There's plenty of room all across. There's still room over here. There's room all the way over here on the end. Your world's being shaken. Just go ahead and come on up. Some of you are afraid, what will people think? Nobody's thinking because they're all thinking about themselves right now. Okay, no one's going, oh my gosh, why are they walking up there? That's an attack of the enemy. I'm calling it out because some of you right now, that's your thought, I can't go up there. What is someone going to think? You could, if you respond, if that's you right now, you know it. Just go ahead and come on up. The world's being shaken. Just come on up. I know there's others. I, and I'm not, it's not because I know who. I just know that there's others. Okay, how many of you out there, you've been through some stuff and God showed up? Your world was shaking and God showed up. Now I need some godly people to come up behind. We're just, we're just coming up and saying, you're not alone. You're not alone. I love you. I'm praying for you. God's got this. He hasn't left you alone. He is with you. He is for you. Come on, I need every person to have someone behind them praying for them. Especially if we have guys with guys and ladies with ladies, that helps as well. This is what church is. Church, Jesus said my house should be called a house of prayer, right? That's what we're doing this morning. We're one, one another. That's what church is, is one another.
So come on, just start to pray out loud for that person. If you don't know their name, it's appropriate to just reach over real quick. Hey, what's your name? I want to be able to pray for you. Maybe you could even ask real quickly, is there something in particular? They don't have to. If, someone, if someone's praying for you, you don't want to share your stuff, you don't have to share it. Just say, I'd rather not share. But come on, let's just, and let's just begin to pray boldly. Pray out loud right now. Pray out loud right now. If you're still in the chairs, pray. You don't know what's going on up here. Just pray. Just pray. Oh, in the name of Jesus. We lift up to you our brothers and our sisters. Their world is being shaken. God, we thank you that you are greater. You are greater. You are greater. You are greater. You are the God who heals. You are the God who delivers. And you are the God who is present when you choose not to heal. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. We grab onto you. We hold onto you. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your freedom. We come to you. Where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. God, we cling to you. Jesus, we cling to you. We cling to you. Thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the gift of partnerships. Thank you for your protection. God, we come to your word. We cling to your word, oh God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Be poured out. Holy Spirit, be poured out. Be poured out. You know what each person needs. You know exactly what each person needs. Be poured out. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. 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 You love your daughters. You love your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we were praying, I just, uh, you can't get past this tree in the middle of the platform. And I just felt like God is saying to some of you in this room, he has planted his word inside of you. And his word is living and active and it will not fail. And so cling to him. He is, he is, he is rooting you. And sometimes you look at others and you go, well, my tree's not doing it. Don't pay attention to other people. 
you be rooted in the word of God, he will grow you at his pace. And as you stay connected to him, you will bear fruit for his glory. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Stand firm. Keep trusting. Keep moving forward. You are loved more than you imagine. You're loved so much more than you imagine. You're welcome to keep praying. We're going to keep playing. Uh, The instruments are going to keep playing. But if you need to leave, our greeters are in the back with the white buckets for your connection cards. And uh, we love you. You're welcome to continue to pray. You're also welcome to leave if you would leave quietly uh, so those up here praying can continue to pray.